Namaste. Welcome to Evolving with Analytics. In this podcast, I will be inviting guests across the world who are leading the team of analytics, transforming positive change. I will get into a conversation with them to know about their journey of transformation, their thoughts in and around analytics and how do they see the future of analytics. Stay tuned and have a fun learning experience. Thank you. Welcome to uh, the first episode for Evolving with Analytics. Today, I have here Mr. Kyron Tovey. He is the Managing Director, Data Scientist and KPMG Analytics Lead and has over more than 20 years of experience delivering data-powered solutions to large global and domestic clients. Having led teams of 100 plus data science professionals in multiple global roles, he has deep expertise in E2E analytics and AI client delivery programs across industries. He has held global innovation roles, leading analytics and AI innovation teams, working with technology and academic partners to, con- to build and deliver novel solutions across on modern technology stacks. He regularly contributes at conferences detailing how data science capability is being used at the bleeding edge with clients. I'm very honored to have you, Mr. Tovey, as my first guest on the podcast, Evolving with Analytics. Thanks, Shweta. It's um, great to be on. Thank you. So um, let's begin with the Q&A series and conversation. Now, I understand that childhood is a very important development stage for any individual, shaping us into who we are today. How, how was your childhood like? Which qualities do you think, going back then, have made you stand out and, you know, you carried it forward? It's going back a long way for me. <laughs> I think... Um... Well, I'm the eldest of seven from a small West of Ireland <coughs> farmer um, uh, uh, father. Um, and my mother was housewife and reared us kids. Um, so we're, we're brought up with a very strong work ethic. Um, and my earliest memories are sort of helping my father on the farm. And if anyone that comes from that background knows you know, there's no weekends on a farm. <laughs> work has to be done all the time. So I think one of the key things um, uh, I learned was was a work ethic and then taking some pride in the work that you do. Um, but from in, in my childhood, I was probably a little bit unusual in that uh, I was one of those that's just lucky enough to be good at maths and, and I enjoyed maths, right? And most people at school, um, in my day, and I think it's still the same now, is you know, um, don't enjoy maths. They might teach themselves how to pass exams, um, but uh, I really liked it and I was good at it. Um, but the other thing is, I was also really interested in um, English and, and history and more creative sides. Um, so when I look at my my childhood, when I, and, and then I look to my 20 something years of experience of working with people in the analytics space i find the ones that are the most successful have that blend of technical 
sort of mathematical analytics data, uh, but also creative because fundamentally what you're trying to do is, is think your way through solving problems using data and using technologies. So if you're just following a row system, you know, doing task one, task two, task three, without actually standing back and sort of thinking about the problem and what the, the solution could be and trying things, because you, you'll you probably have to try nine times before you find the 10th that, that, that will work. Um, and, you know, when I, I suppose that's one of the things from my childhood, work hard, create, be, you know, be creative, try, don't give up, absolutely don't give up, right? Um, and and have, a, have a problem solving attitude. If you, if you have that, then you'll never be disappointed, right? Because you've always, you will always have something to keep you interested. Absolutely, sure. Sure, I really agree on that. So I am uh, born and brought up in a small town in India. And uh, so I can totally relate with the work ethic and the hard work that you're talking about because I've seen my uh, father uh, working like throughout the week and putting in so much hard work. And I think uh, I uh, learned that from my parents as well, like working so hard and uh, putting in the best that you can and, you know, problem solving the problems and never giving up. So, uh, yep, I agree with that. And it's really beautiful going back then and realizing this, taking a note of it. Okay. Um, so growing up, who was your role model and who is it now? <laughs> um. I'll probably have to think of that one a little bit. Um, so I, I also enjoyed uh, sports and particularly GAA, right, um, in Ireland. So I I, uh, I did have one. Um, he was a common footballer. Um, he was actually Lieutenant General Dermot Early. He was... He's, he's also basically a lieutenant general in the Irish in the Irish Army, um, and had spent uh, a lot of time abroad and as part of UN peacekeeping missions. But um, he's also probably the best, one of the best footballers that was common where I'm from, the West of Ireland, ever produced. Uh, and is he's famous for being one of these players that never won one of the best players that never won an All Ireland medal. Um, but his, anytime anyone heard him speak or anytime uh, uh, he, he played, he played just with, with sheer honesty, right? He absolutely tried his hardest. He led from the, from the front, um, brought people with him. And, and it's it's no surprise that he, he ended up in the army and he ended up very senior in the army, like as a lieutenant general, because he was a natural, he was a natural leader. You could see it on the pitch and, and off the pitch. Um, and... You know, you'll, you'll, if I go back when I was a, a child, like 30, 40 years ago, we only had two channels on TV and oh. not a lot of American TV, right? So you can imagine, you know, there weren't, there weren't, the, let's say, the global celebrities or superstars that we, that's, you know, um, that's sort of so accessible now. So um, mine were probably a bit more Ireland based and, and local. Um, and if you're asking who, 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 who is it now? Um, I, um, I like to see the people have huge imagination, right? Um, 
and I'll say nothing about the the, the personalities, right? So if uh, if I think of Elon Musk, right? It, it, like he's not constrained by imagination. He he he, he thinks things should be so and then works to make it right uh he may well be a terrible person i don't know i don't know him at all but i do um i just love the 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 kind of person that says i'm going to put a sports car in space or i'm going to actually fly you know fly rockets to the moon um something that would always been thought as being just government and national uh pursuit um He's, you know, not not constrained in his thinking. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I like Elon, but I'm not saying I'd like to work for him because I do understand he's probably not a very easy character <laughs> in terms of his own personality. But, um, but uh, you know what, pe- people with that amount of drive uh, and, and energy, right? It's like trying to um, lasso a tiger, right? So it's, uh, it can be a rough ride. Exciting, nonetheless. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Yeah, if Elon Musk is definitely a really inspiring person uh, with the kind of innovation he is driving and bringing on technology. Really amazing. So, uh, how did you know that you always wanted to pursue mathematics and statistics ahead? So, usually uh, when we talk about our interests, uh, there are some incidences that has that are key, key drivers for us to pursue uh, mathematics and stats. So, anything. So, how about you? So, as I said, I was, I was uh, good at math. So, when I got to university, I actually chose um, science um, because one of the other things I was interested in, very interested in, was a very numerous subject as well. It was physics. I enjoyed physics uh, a lot. I, I would have read a lot of, um, let's say, layman's physics books, and I still have things like Brief History of Time and all that um, uh, that kind of area. So I, I actually wanted to be an astronomer. I wanted to be um, something to be working uh, with mathematics, but focus in space and the cosmos. Um, so when I went to UCD, I did theoretical physics, experimental physics, um, maths and statistics. Um, and then I it just found uh, each year you had to uh, drop one subject. Um, and I just started to find, well, maybe as I started to mature as well, right? But I started to find that um, my, my, my dreams of astronomy, um, were probably less likely to have uh, a job at the end of it, for one. Um, but also, a lot of the work, a lot of the the stuff that I was learning in in experimental physics and physics side was very what am I call linear. It was just um, repeating other people's experiments and just you know testing and, and evaluating, maybe working out some some mathematical problems, but um, it, it lacked, I felt, a discovery element or creative element. It was very formulaic. Um, uh, I remember really clearly is when I was studying optics, I just went, oh, I'm just sick of this. It just, uh, it, 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 optics already, it's heavily mathematical. It's about, you know, lights and where to reflect off and their angles and all this kind of stuff. But it just went, 
this is, I just re suddenly started to realize I, I don't find this interesting. But I was doing statistics, um, granted it was in an academic environment. Uh, so, you know, all the data sets are a little bit doctored in an academic environment. They're nice and clean. They're not so much real world. They're not that very big. But was, um, uh, uh, I was, uh, as part of academia, I was um, solving some of the problems that looked to be more practical. But I think nearly more important was because I was doing statistics and lots of other disciplines were also doing statistics. Like if you'd be doing statistics, if you were doing agriculture or psychology or um and what uh almost all of those disciplines would have to do usually a survey they'd have to be able to show that they did some quantitative analysis um so i i i basically had a little business where i do the statistical analysis for other people i basically do what called grinds um so somebody had come to me and so I, I need to set up this survey to ask this particular question um, and help me design it and I'd help them analyze it. Like I remember one, um, clearly we're, we're a doctor in, in Vincent's hospital who, who came to me and said, well, I've collected up um, information on hip replacements because he did hip replacements. And I've got this data set over the last few years and I want to try and analyze it. And, um, so I, I, I was started doing analysis of that. And I still remember there's, I think there's two types of hip hip joints you can put in called varus and valgus or something like that. And it depends on the angle it goes into the hip. And I could show that one worked better for others for particular types of, of people. And they hadn't seen that before. And oh yeah, I wouldn't have seen that without doing the analysis. I also remember that there were two 15 year olds that had to get hip replacement in that data set. Had their ages, not their names. Um, so I really started to find this is a practical application of of mathematics and statistics and analysis, um, but it was also uh, it was new. You could find, you could see things others didn't, right? As you started to do this kind of analysis and join more and more data together. So um, just started to find it more interesting and then wow. kicked off in a career. <laughs> That's really interesting. And since we are on that topic of you know, exploring more projects and uh, developing interest in them, uh, would you like to share more very cool projects that you've worked on? So, so um, yeah, I think I, I, at the Analytics Institute conference, I, I, I you know, I told the story where where I was working as an epidemiologist, which I, I I really enjoyed that time. So I won't go through that story again, but I'll, I'll give a story from just a a few years ago. I, I was. Um, analytics lead globally in a consulting organization for um, many different areas, but one of them was policing and justice. And I, I enjoyed policing and justice because, you know, I think it, it's the use of data and analysis in support of um, police and law enforcement to help them be able to do a better job. If they can do a better job, then it improves society. Um, at least that's my, my view. Um, but I was working with one of the, the large metropolitan police forces and um, they they want, they want asked, I did a few different projects with them, all of which were hugely interesting, but the, the very first one um, that they asked us to do is, 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 can you help us try and identify 
those people that are are going to draw younger people into a life of crime. They call them co-offenders, right? Usually somebody that's that's older in a sort of younger gang that draws others in to um, get involved in drugs, assaults, whatever it might be. Um, and and by you know the flip side of that was also identified the vulnerable people, children, kids, basically that uh, that could be drawn into that kind of life. So they could get some insights and look to see well how would uh, uh, how can I manage those situations? Um, so you know there, there there's a problem where there's you know there's not a cookie cutter answer. It's not just um, you know do a a regression or you know apply this neural net to it. You, you, you had to think our way through it. Um, so we, 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 we took an approach, it's a long-winded approach, right? But I'll summarize it at the end. We took a, a view that there was, um, uh, let's we'll just call them a core set of, of bad guys that we could actually see that, that had um, drawn others into crime. And there was some, you know, we, we had some logic around um, how we identified them. Uh, so if we if you think of them almost as as that's um, a black hole that draws other other people closer to them, we then translated that into a into a, a network problem. And by a network problem, I meant well, do we know how close are, are who, who are the the first person contacts to this bad guy? So if I know Shweta and I've been arrested with Shweta or I've been stopped and searched with Shweta or I've appeared in an intelligence report or whatever, I go okay. We obviously know each other. We're 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 a connection of one, mm -hmm. but um, then you maybe know uh, I don't know um, Parik. Uh, so Parik, uh, but I don't know Parik, or I've never been, I've never seen Parik before. So then he'd be two steps away from me. So we built up the network that said, well, how far away to your connections were you from the really bad guys, the ones that were pulling you in? So obviously, as you get closer and closer. To to, uh, to 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 those people, we could see that you're likely to have been involved in more more crimes and more severe crimes was increasing, and it's natural enough because it makes sense, right? Um, but from an analytics perspective, what we did is we looked to pull out the names and the connections from unstructured data, right, intelligence reports and the like, um, and actually build up that network, and you could see then. That there were some people when you looked at the whole of this whole of the the city, some people weren't really connected at all. Then some would be connected. We 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 had our outer ring at about nine nine steps away, and then you could watch them go from nine to four, four to two, right? And and it became clear how how as people moved through the system, which were the ones that were becoming more vulnerable. And, and we could provide that information to, to the police so that they could try and uh, intervene. And it also recognized the ones, you know, that were becoming more and more like this hardcore uh, criminals in, in, in the middle, right? And, and different interventions for those. Um, so that's, and that's how we started and where we extended from there, which gets into other projects. One was on utilizing very similar type approaches to try and address modern day slavery for the UK. So how do I start to identify trafficking of people? Because again, if you think about it, this is going to be a network problem, how people are connected with each other. Um, 
and where are we going to find those networks? You're going to find them probably mentioned in um, free text reports, like intelligence reports. Are you going to start to see the same people appear in different jurisdictions as they're potentially being moved through the country? Um, so I, I found those those use cases, uh, as we'd call them in consulting perspective, very interesting because these are problems that that you know many people are are likely wrestling with but not using data and not using analytics. Uh, and here we were bringing that kind of discipline, um, which, which, which I thought was fascinating. And we could demonstrate, because we, we would do sort of out of time and out of sample testing uh, in general. And we did some other types of testing too, um, but it, we could demonstrate that we, that we, were, we could be effective. And so it was, uh, and we were, we were, better than any obviously one individual police officer because we're collating all the information from all the police officers um uh across the system so that's one maybe two <laughs> stories in, in in that particular area um i'll give one other in policing we worked with uh, a u.s um police force um that was a subject of what they call a, a federal decree and that they have been essentially penalized for um uh, what's what we make term un, unconstitutional policing but essentially that was um excessive use of force particularly with uh minorities uh, in u.s states right obviously very pertinent and relevant now um we were building a system to try and understand uh where early signals where, where you should intervene with police officers before there was likely an excessive use of force or even in the States, which is more you know, common than in the UK or Ireland, is could end up in someone being killed. So it was trying to identify um, the, the, the officers and the right intervention, maybe to de-escalate situations, maybe to identify... Um, uh, cases where the, you know the volume of complaints and type of complaints against police, particular police officers are going up, um, and, and basically look at correlating all this information together so they could effectively manage this. So, as you can see, I found policing interesting, um, but I've also hunted the bad guys from an anti-money laundering perspective, right? Where we've um, worked with a large tier one global bank to try and identify. Um, anti-money laundering and, and terrorist financing risk, again, through the use of analytics of transactions, essentially, right? You can follow where, where money flows um, and, you know, identify where there, there are potential areas of risk. So oh. probably enough on examples. <laughs> so as and when I was listening to through the examples, I was thinking, well, that it stats and analytics have such wide applications and probably it is applied in each and every industry and i think any problem can be solved with the help of mathematics and stats so it's really amazing like the examples that you took us through and i'm sure it must have been quite thrilling experience while solving them as a team and as an individual while thinking through various um, possibilities of uh, going across so uh, coming across a solution. So I'm sure it must have been an amazing experience. And, and that's that goes back to what I was saying at the start. The, the, the 
it's a technical skill combined with a creative kind of problem solving attitude, right? Because the the if you're only relying on the technical skills, then then it'd be difficult to try and 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 start to evolve what a solution might look like for uh, use cases you haven't seen before. So as I said, modern day slavery, how would you, you, you have to understand um, what, what your technology can do, what analysts can do, what data you have available, what's the raw materials, how you might approach it. You know, you can start getting into which algorithms, all that kind of thing. Um, but but if you don't have the, 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 the ability to try and think through how to structure the problem, uh, I don't think it'll be as, as successful. So I think that's one thing I always enjoy doing. It's actually slightly more on the creative side than on the pure, almost coding or technical side. Because um, once you have the vision, then you're using these tools, right? Python, for example, it's a programming tool. It, it, you're just executing your thought process essentially um, in a series of steps. So that, that's why I think it's it's super important. And that's why I... I um, I always look to work on those interesting and challenging ones because you're never guaranteed to be successful, but you can be guaranteed that you can give it your best shot. And if it's successful, it's usually um, it's one of the first times it may have been done in that particular area. So that makes it more fun. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So, um, you know, seeing your journey of being the managing director after graduation, how would you describe your journey to you know being the managing director of KPMG today? Um, well, I started out as everyone else started out. I suppose it came out with um, uh, maybe not everyone else, but I, I, I had a maths and statistics degree, and I did a statistics um, postgrad by research. Um, but when I was looking for my first job, primarily there were only two options. It was about nearly 25 years ago one was either working clinical trials organizations and we're all probably familiar with clinical trials in in these days um with uh, with all the covid-19 um uh vaccines that are coming out um all being evaluated through through clinical trial process um and there were two major ones in in Dublin at the time quintiles and icon um i i just I didn't, that wasn't an area I wanted to go into. Um, again, sort of going back to what I was saying at the start, I kind of found that kind of formulaic, right? Because you're basically doing a series of predefined tests and you're going to go, okay, just make sure it, it falls within these parameters. Um, the other area you could go work in primarily would have been um, in financial services, banking environment. Um, and just for me at the time, that's not what I was interested in. So that's where... I wanted to do something that was a bit more um, research oriented. Um, so I went to to uh, work with a research organization that was attached to the Department of Agriculture, which gets back to my epidemiology for the first um, seven or eight years of my career. Uh, epidemiology is really just the application of statistics with, to epidemics, obviously for, the, for um, disease eradication or combating um, disease. But... Uh, the really great thing there was that the, the, I was the only one with that skill set. So, and I was the only one really working with data from, from that perspective, um, which, which gave me great freedom 
then and I, I had great support to actually be self-taught, right? So I was I was allowed to go to conferences and I did research my own because I was just interested. Uh, I taught myself so many different things, um, but but all sort of self-driven. And then I could say, well, listen, I think we could do this, this, or this, and engage with people um, and, uh, uh, and and then try things. So that was great. Um, why did I leave? I, I left at that point because it, it was after about seven or eight years because it was um, uh, probably a halfway house between a, a public service um, and, and, and private um, industry, but not obviously being paid half as much as private industry. <laughs> so I, I was, I was heading towards my, um, around about 30 and I was going, I want, you know, I wanted, uh, to have a house and basically don't want to, to actually have, a, um, a bit more, um, better financial outcomes. Uh, and actually at the time I, I, I joined SPSS, which has since been bought out by IBM to basically set up their, their, the professional services consulting arm just at the time that SBSS acquired a company called ISL, which was the first commercial application of what's now would be considered neural networks and computer science and uh, operations research capability. So it had um, uh, it had uh, commercial neural networks in the package for classification and prediction purposes. It added um, text mining, what might now be called NLP. So these were all new areas from a, from a statistician who wouldn't have been taught these kind of computer science-y type disciplines. Um, so again, I had to be self-taught and go, go learn how do these things work? How can I use them? They all use data. They're all making, essentially making predictions or they're using, you know, they're using, um, days to try and solve some sort of problem so um again it was an, and, and then you know because with this new technology and then i was heading in professional services organization was well go find the problems that clients will pay you to solve so i ended up doing things lots of different things from from um building lots of customer propensity models and churn models in telcos and in banks and building risk models for financial services um worked with uh health service work with public service just suddenly had all, was was bringing the application of data and analytics and that discipline and that understanding of what the technology could do just to multiple different problems in different um uh, in different industry domains so you know i'm i'm so i had to learn all, a lot of those industry domains so if you go into a bank banks expect you to know what Know how banks work. If you go into a health service, they want you to know how health service works. So you have to bring your your almost your technical capability, and then try and understand how uh, how the industry works and operates, and see how you can design solutions to to support that. So I think the team that runs through that is while you have the energy, keep teaching yourself new things, right? Because the 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 more you do that essentially the more opportunities you're going to get full stop i couldn't agree more thanks that's a really great advice and i think you are an inspiration for you know starting out so early and learning everything on your own and that to technology which is like changing every day so i'm sure it must have been a really quite a challenge learning everything on your own and that's 
that really is an inspiration to us. So um, amazing. Thank you for that really good advice. Um, so uh, which was your first wow moment seeing the changes around analytics? Um, I, I think the, the, the biggest wow moment uh, I, I got was when, when I suddenly realized how fast the world was changing about 12 years ago, something like that. Um, and if you remember what I said, yeah, I joined SPSS, uh, SPSS, you know, most people are probably familiar from their college days uh, or know it as part of IBM now. Um, but at the time, there were two monoliths, SPSS and SAS. Um, SAS is still around and SPSS has been bought up by IBM. But, but absolutely, there were the two monoliths. If you wanted to do anything with uh, data and analytics, you worked with, um, with one of those technologies, almost certainly, or Excel, right, which is, you know, I don't, uh, I think they're 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 a step above all, all of the the you know the, the tools like Excel for example. Um, so they were they were they were the, the the specialist technologies that were available to the likes of myself who would, who would have been calling myself probably myself call myself a, a data scientist at that point. Um, but I, I I watched the 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 evolution and disruption of um, the the open uh, open source tools and technologies, right? R, Python. Right? I've seen I've seen them. Um, I've seen those two monoliths essentially lose vast amounts of their market share, right? um, and the the those other tools then started to be the open source tools started um, to be supported or were developed. Um, as part of cloud platforms, giving you that that, that huge extra uh, boost in terms of compute capability and what was possible. So the the you know that that was the biggest wow moment. I went, oh, you know, the world is totally changing, right? The, before you just had to have either SPSS skills or SAS skills from a technology perspective, and they tried to do everything. You know, fair enough, right? And if anyone's ever seen the old-fashioned um, manuals for SAS, right, and the procedure documents, like they're they're massive. They have a procedure for everything you could possibly ask for, um, and they still are fantastic technology. Um, but the the all those open source tools started bringing in more and more people that were able to do more and more. Uh, things on their own and whole companies have grown up based on just on these open source tools and technologies that do um, offer you know uh, really excellent solutions um, based on how they configured this essentially free technology um, and have built companies on the back of it uh, and that's just really the application of their their insight and knowledge and sort of creativity um, and using these tools uh, so it, it, you really that, that analytics capability became far more democratized. Um, and uh, then I realized, 
oh crap, right? <laughs> it's not enough just to know, uh, um, say, SBSS or SAS. Now there's just a whole plethora of stuff going on out there. Um, and there are, there are different frameworks, as you're all aware of, right? Probably almost better than me now in many cases, right? But there's so, you know, Facebook um, uh, uh, AI, um, everybody is, is, is sort of building or developing their own their own frameworks or their own, their own capabilities. So just the amount you have to learn um, seems to have expanded hugely. I think the basic techniques, though, um, aren't fundamentally different, right? Even 20-something years ago, I wanted to do network analysis to connect things, but just the technology wasn't capable of doing it. Um, oh. And I tried. I tried a few different ways. And you go, no, just wouldn't work. Now you're, you're not limited by the technology. You're just limited by your imagination. So that's... Um, that's, I think, the, the the bigger wow moment when you kind of go, pretty much, if you can access the data, um, even almost in any format now, right? Texts, structured, videos, audio, um, sensors, and you know, the, the ability to, to create um, data products and solutions out of that, of that kind of variety is just expanding all the time. So great time to be starting out your career Absolutely. yeah so um leading and you know working with more than 100 data scientists and professionals across uh what are some key traits that you see are uh, lead to being more successful one of the things i like to do is involve um everybody in sort of the the creative and sort of design process and, and thinking through a problem. So try and keep a relatively flat hierarchy from that perspective and then give people, you know, if I, if I so I've got a lot of experience. So I've tried many, many things myself and I know some things that don't work, um, even though they might conceptually sound like they should, right? So um, I then like to give people responsibility um, to do to do certain parts of a project or, or project on uh, on their own and, and basically check in just to make sure it's going right going right so that that creative problem solving self-motivation you know driven to try and find a solution work ethic um that 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 stands out but i think you know, the the key thing is if you can be part of thinking through the solution right because there are a lot of people that can do tasks so i could say to you well, to build me this kind of model, you do these 10 steps. And there's lots of people that can do those 10 steps very well. But it's not that many people that will come to me and go, Karen, I, I don't think it's 10. I think it's 11. I think if you actually did this, maybe that would make the solution a bit better. And you go, okay, actually, that could work. That's great, right? Now go do the 11 steps. The, the, the ability to be able to be part of that um, solution and thinking through and sort of seeing things because all, all, you know, almost all data is kind of unique in that when you start to combine it with other data, there are there are patterns that maybe no one's seen before, or you know, there are things coming out of the data that you need to be able to use sort of common sense and try and work work out um, what's this telling me. If anything, sometimes it can just be spurious correlations. Um, the so so. Yeah, that, that curiosity, I think, and, and the thinking to a problem. And not being afraid then to, to speak up, because I do, I, look, at, I know, you know people starting out in the career, generally younger, 
maybe a bit shy, um, you know, don't don't necessarily um, feel it's it's to them to be standing up and positing ideas. I, I'd strongly encourage it. I, I think um, you have to remember you you the world I'm talking about. You guys are in much more data native cloud platforms native and all that. Right. So while, while many people will have um, domain expertise that you won't have, they'll know the industry and they'll know that. But um, you're closer to the changes in the technology and capability than 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 most. So feel free, I think, to posit ideas and you know think of solutions. Um, and the one that people that can do that independently are, are the most valuable. Awesome. Yeah. And um, so how do you see the, how do you foresee changes happening across, you know, in terms of technology and analytics with the modern time? Well, I, um, I'm strongly of the view that the work I was doing 10 years ago is, is being, and by that, the work I was doing 10 years ago was mostly, um, classification model building or forecasting generally working on um structured data sources maybe combining some of those structured data sources into you know uh, a greater data set and then then trying to predict something i don't know whether um whether someone's likely to churn or leave the company or not uh, or renew their their contract something like that um I, I think that work is is essentially dead it just doesn't know it yet um, because the amount of technologies that are available to, you know, relatively um, data-savvy people that don't have to have, you know, the maths and statistics and computer science backgrounds, but they know their domain very well. So they know, they know banking or they know healthcare. When you start to be able to use, when you can see the advent of tools like um, uh, ClickView and Power BI and visualization tools, and then data manipulation tools like Alteryx, etc. Um, it, it became less of a an arcane programming capability where you know if you if you had to learn how to do Python or R or something like that, you know that was a particular skill. Actually, there's no real you know the, the, the thought process is still the same. When you want to solve a problem, if you're able to use basically um, almost almost uh, just step by step components, right, that you can use uh, technology for. So I think the working on structured data is 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 going to be is dying from a consulting perspective, um, uh, and that much more emphasis is going to be on unstructured information like documents, videos, images, sensors, all that kind of thing. Um, and that's a different skill, and different sets of skills. Um, I think that's where the, the big change is going to be, is how do you start to harness all of that data and combine it with a relatively small amount of data that's actually structured? So only, I mean, some of the estimates are, is, is, you know, 80% of data is unstructured, um, which basically means if you're not using it, then you're 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 not looking at um, the, the full picture. Um, so I think the, the big change is going to be is going to be how to how to master and manage and use the unstructured information and the technologies that go with that uh, to augment what what we've been doing for years and years and years with structured data. Okay. Wow. 
so something that we uh, students should actually look forward to learning as well like it gives us an idea of how we can approach uh, you know entering the field of analytics too so um i know we've already like you've already shared a lot of advice and wisdom in terms of you know uh, values that one must carry uh, but uh, do you have any last advice for uh, students starting out their journey in the field of analytics so the, i think the, the the key piece of advice i think uh, i would give is remember you're in a, a an area that's in huge demand right that is very different from sometimes in the past that if you you know you followed a very particular path through university then you have a limited set of businesses or business areas you could you could go into right um when you're working with data analytics essentially you, you've vast choice because every company and every government every public service agency uh, is a generator of data and does you know has a need for for analytics um so the my advice is worry less about getting a job and more about finding the area that you find the most interesting because only when you find it interesting will you keep your motivation to keep keep learning and all of that and like i've done i must have done thousands of interviews right i've i've, I've employed hundreds maybe thousands of people um there there are and particularly more junior um uh candidates over the years you can definitely see um you know maybe 50% of them just want a job in 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 the area they just go i've done maths or statistics or computer science and i just want a job um so they're 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 they try and manage the interview so that they try and look as good as they can to to get the job um and usually to be honest i can see through that most of the time but when people talk about something they're really interested in or passionate about or why they want to do this particular job or why they're interested in it um and you can see that come out and you can see well actually here's where i in my spare time i've done all these other things um that, that demonstrated that um this was an area of interest to me uh, i think you've huge advantage of the world is your oyster now the world because the world is built on data so find the area you enjoy working in there is always going to be work in whatever area that is like if you wanted to work if you want to work in you know music you can go to spotify right these are all built on data at the minute right um there's there is there's just so much choice so optimize your choices while you can well that is a really great advice and thank you very much i think uh, these the, these were the questions that i had for today's podcast and uh, and i really appreciate the advice and the you know uh, journey that you've taken us through and uh, and i really appreciate for giving such valuable time of yours um thank you kyren thanks once again no problem sir nice glad to be help thank you